Picture this. You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com Shapiro. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com Shapiro. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. CarShield.com slash Shapiro. That's CarShield.com slash Shapiro. Leaders all over the world prepared their private jets over the weekend to head off to the COP28 Global Warming Conference in Dubai. Some travelers out of Munich, however, had a bit of trouble taking off as snow blanketed the airport tipping at least one private jet backwards in the apocalyptically hot snow and ice. For a group of people who claim to fear the heat, the Arabian Peninsula might seem like a strange place to hold a conference. Traveling there in private jets, which spew as much as 20 times the carbon into the atmosphere as commercial air travel per passenger, also seems like a strange way to fight so-called climate change. It's almost as if and I'm not the first to suggest it, the climate religion is not actually about the environment. Many conservatives look at this kind of hypocritical behavior and conclude that global warming alarmists, John Kerry, Al Gore, all the liberal elite, that they don't actually believe their own rhetoric. I'm not so sure of that, though. And the reason is that everyone has to believe in something. All human conflict ultimately is theological. All human beings live according to some view of morality and humanity and the cosmos. It's not possible to avoid that. Most people are not all that logical or coherent about their beliefs. What the climate alarmist elites will tell you, John Kerry has actually said this on camera, is that their own pollution does not really matter one way or the other for the fate of the world. That the only way to stop global warming is to get whole nations, whole continents, to get the whole world to stop polluting. They tell you individual behavior doesn't matter. The only thing that really matters is collective action. And this tracks with virtually all left-wing thinking. It might be wrong to commit murder, but as the British radical T.P. Thompson said in a quote wrongly but understandably attributed to Stalin, one must break some eggs to make an omelet. Pagan tribes for all of history have worshipped nature. It's the oldest false religion in the world. And the reason that the climate religion has once again come to dominate world affairs is not just because of the duplicity and greed of politicians. That's another unfortunate fact that has already always existed. The real reason is that our civilization has lost faith in the true religion that supplanted nature worship. So long as that trend continues, expect more alarmism, more jets, and more snow. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show.
Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com. Subscribe today with code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to claim your free limited stock holiday ham before it sells out. Joe Biden is saying that we ought to consider making aid to Israel conditional. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, though, speaking of leaders and followers, you got the climate leaders going to Dubai, going, going in their private jets to one of the hottest places on earth to fight the sun monster. But then you've got the, the followers. And the followers don't have private jets and the followers don't go to Dubai. But the followers are very, very concerned that if we don't open up the caps on our plastic water bottles, everyone is going to die of thirst. Hey, I just picked this up. It's a full bottle of water. And I'm on this quest to dump out any water that gets trapped in the plastic because once it's trapped in these plastic bottles... We now have lost it basically forever. So it's really important when you see, hi doggo, when you see water that's discarded to open it up and dump it out. Um, alternately, to make sure that when you're done with water, and that goes for like, you know, juices or sports drinks or whatever, dump that shit out if you're not gonna use it. Because if you don't, it's, it's trapped forever, and we've lost that water um, to our ecosystem. So, thanks. I'm no ecological expert. I don't think the water is lost forever. I, I think the vast majority of it just gets kind of crushed up and expelled at, at landfills and recycling plants and other garbage facilities. And I, th- I, think, I think we're going to be okay on the water. I don't think that your tightening a, a plastic Poland spring cap is going to uh, cause all of us to die of thirst. What is this? How is this woman so worried about your plastic water bottles? This is the climate religion's version of scrupulosity. Scrupulosity is, is an obsession over sin, a, a, a neurotic obsession over sin. So in true religion, you you would be obsessed with whether you had uh, wished death on somebody, whether you had stolen something, whether you had had impure thoughts, whether you had violated actual moral laws. And in the climate religion, which is a a parody of religion, it's a a parody of true religion, and it's a a return, I suppose, of the old nature-worshipping pagan religions, there what you obsess over is whether a drop of water got stuck in your your bottle before you sent it off to the landfill. This is peak neurosis. And they don't stop to think that, hold on a second, I'm worried about a drop of water in my water bottle. Meanwhile, John Kerry is flying off to Arabia in a private jet, spewing 20 times the pollution into the air that he, he would otherwise spew if he were flying commercially. Huh. He's he doesn't care about this that much. Why should I care about this this very minor thing? They don't really think about that because they they buy the the argument. And the argument has a kernel of truth to it. it, it John Kerry is right when he says my private jet isn't going to cause the end of the world. That's true. His private jet is a drop in the bucket when we talk about pollution. Also, all the private jets aren't going to cause the end of the world. Also, all the plastic water bottles are not going to cause the end of the world. Also, the nature-worshipping pagan religions are false. And 
They were supplanted for a time by by the true religion, and now we're living in something much closer to the earliest days of Christianity than we are to, say, a thousand years ago or 500 years ago at the very height of Christian civilization. We are living in a, a, a brave new world animated by a different set of beliefs. And you're seeing this not just in the environmental nonsense. You're seeing this more distressingly in other aspects of life, including touching on the family. Right now, IVF and surrogacy have returned to the news for reasons that we don't have to get into. This is, to me, the clearest example of moral confusion, not just in our culture, but even on the right. There are many people on the right, many prominent conservatives, who don't understand why IVF and surrogacy and a market for couples who otherwise can't have children, like homosexuals, to purchase babies, why that is wrong. They don't quite understand it. There's a guy, Richard Hanania, who is a, I guess you'd call him a right-wing liberal commentator. And here was his, I think, sincere confusion on why conservatives would oppose IVF and surrogacy. He says, let me try to understand the social conservative position on reproductive issues. Abortion should be banned so poor people can be forced to give birth. IVF and surrogacy should be banned to prevent smart and successful people from reproducing. Do I have that right? Uh, No, he does not have that right. The reason that conservatives oppose abortion and IVF and surrogacy is because we believe that people are not property to be purchased and discarded at will. That's why. That's what unites those two issues. That's what unites the broader sexual ethic among conservatives. What used to what used to inform the civilization that used to be called Christendom. That is why it's wrong. And it's not just the homosexuals who have to recognize it. We'll get to it in one second. First, though, when you want to treat your body right, you got to check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to GoodRanchers.com, use code Knowles. What do green eggs and your Christmas dinner have in common? They both need a ham to be complete. Not just any ham, a spiral-cut heritage pork masterpiece from Good Ranchers. That's the kind of ham that'll steal the show at your family gathering. And guess what? You get it for free with any Good Ranchers subscription. That's a whopping $99 value that you get for free in your first order. Simply subscribe to any box. You will get your free holiday ham included in any order. Get 25 bucks off every order, a free gift in every third box, and free shipping on express delivery. The best part is knowing exactly where your meat comes from, which is a local American farm. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com. Subscribe today with code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to claim your free limited stock holiday ham before they sell out. Act fast. This offer will not last forever. Order before December 11th for guaranteed delivery by Christmas. Head to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, when you subscribe to get your free 10-pound holiday ham. Do not settle for the same old holiday fare. Elevate your feast with Good Ranchers this year. Good Ranchers American meat delivered. People recoil at the image of two men creating a child through IVF for the express purpose of denying that child his mother. People recoil naturally. Some people, they consciously recognize why that is so wrong. For some people, it's just a prejudice, and it's a true prejudice. It's called the wisdom of repugnance. We know it's wrong, even if some people can't articulate why. 
It's, it's harder for conservatives to understand what, the problems with IVF and surrogacy more broadly. So it's so clear when it's two guys who go out to look at a catalog and they pick some woman, they tr- they're treating women like objects, like commodities to be purchased. And they say, yeah, I, I want a woman with blonde hair and I want her to have gone to Princeton and I want her to work in banking. Ooh, yeah, maybe we'll get a future financier in our family. And I want her to have blue eyes and I want her, that's obviously degrading and dehumanizing. Then they find some poor woman who wants to make 20 or 30 grand, often in third world countries, or at least in struggling countries like Ukraine, uh, they will say, okay, I'm going to pick that woman. I'm going to rent her womb and we're going to implant these babies uh, in her womb. And uh, then she's going to gestate our children for nine months. And then we are going to do all of this with the express purpose of ripping that child away, not only from his biological mother, his genetic mother, whom he'll never know, but also from the nearest thing to a mother he's ever known, the, the woman in whose body he has been, whose voice he has heard for nine months, we're just going to rip him away from that person, not give him the comfort of that person holding him when he's born. And we're going to do that to satisfy our natural desires, but our disordered behavior, because we have chosen, these two men have chosen to be in a relationship that is intrinsically sterile, but in order to accommodate their desires over the needs and best interests of a child, we're going to create a kid to deny him his mother. Does your mother, Matt, do you like your mother? Do you think your mother had any positive influence in your life growing up? Well, you're denying that. Obviously, we all do. We all love our mothers. Even if you have a mother who's not that great, you, even you still probably love your mother. You are now depriving your child of one of the most important connections that any being, human being can have. That is obviously terribly, terribly wrong. And the men who do this, a lot of them probably don't know that. And a lot of them have been blinded to that. And the culture has told all of these men that it's totally fine. And the culture has told men that men and women are totally interchangeable and there's no difference between them. And the culture is, the, the law has even told men that they have every right to do this. So I don't even blame them all personally. Generally, they know not what they do, but it's terribly, terribly evil. But put the homosexuals aside for a second. They don't deserve to bear all the blame for this because the traditional view is that IVF and surrogacy are wrong, period, for everybody. Why is that? Someone wrote to me, said, Michael, you know, I, I can't believe you said this because I, I can somewhat intellectually understand why IVF and surrogacy might be bad in theory, but I've got nieces who were conceived through IVF. And I'm glad that my nieces are alive, so go F yourself, Michael, because I don't, anything that would allow my nieces to be alive, I think is totally fine, you big jerk. You Bible-thumping, moralizing jerk. Okay, all right, hold on, calm down, calm down. I hear you, I hear you. I'm sure your nieces are great. I'm, I'm sure your nieces are wonderful, I say. And your, niece, your nieces have a right to life. And it's good that your nieces exist. The problem for IVF and surrogacy is that no ends, no matter how good, justify immoral means. No ends, no matter how good, justify actions that are intrinsically evil to achieve them. This is the same kind of logic that we would apply to, say, rape. A child who is conceived in rape, I know some, they have a right to life. They're, it's very good that they exist. We like these people. Had your nieces, God forbid, been, been 
conceived in the case of rape, you would, you would say that you would say, I love my nieces and how dare you suggest they shouldn't exist. And how dare you say that? I'm not suggesting they shouldn't exist. I'm not suggesting they don't have a right to life. I'm not suggesting they're not good at all. But let's follow this idea to its logical conclusion. Does the fact that your niece's existence is good and they have a right to life, does that fact justify rape? <laughs> Certainly not. Likewise, Good ends can be wonderful and we can celebrate them, but they don't justify immoral means. The reason surrogacy and IVF are immoral is because they they interfere into the family. They break up the the nucleus, the, the very building block of political society. They separate the reproductive from the conjugal act. They establish the domination of technology over the origin and destiny of human life. And they, they can have all sorts of unintended consequences. Every six months, it seems, there's some story in the news about how some couples who did IVF, whoopsie-daisy, the test tubes got switched, and an Asian couple gave birth to a black baby. <laughs> so they knew, hold on, this isn't our baby. Hold and, you know, the black couple gave birth to a redheaded white baby. And then this, oh, whoopsie-daisy. We switched the test tubes around. Well, now there's a legal case. Who's my child? That's no good. Why else? What, what else are some of the unintended consequences of IVF? Well, uh, usually in IVF, many human beings are created. Embryos are made. And then you use one or two of them. Maybe you try to implant multiple and then, up oh, too many took. Okay, so we're going to have to abort a couple of them. Or you only do one or two at a time. Then you put the rest in a freezer and, okay, we actually don't want a third child. So then those human beings remain frozen on ice in perpetuity. That's obviously profoundly immoral. What are some of the other problems? Well, how do, how do you think you get the sperm for IVF? I, listen, some of you might not be as exacting on your views of sexual morality as, say, the Catholic Church, but uh, acts that we would all agree are at least somewhat shameful, <laughs> you wouldn't go bragging about them, those are involved in, in uh, getting the raw materials. And it's just so damned clinical. And it's just so degrading and dehumanizing. And I cannot stress this enough, it establishes the domination of technology owned by private enterprise, or the state over the very origin and destiny of human life, which is very, very disordered. It's a hard saying. Let those who have ears to hear, let them hear it. But we all know, because it's just so obviously repugnant, that it is wrong for two guys to create a kid in a test tube, to purchase a woman, to, to commodify human beings, to treat people as property, it's wrong to do that. And we see that and we, we have that natural reaction. Well, perhaps we ought to apply some reason then and, and uh, investigate why it's wrong and how that might apply to more people just than the, the, those who are a little light in the loafers and eager to have children uh, without doing the things properly necessary to have children. Okay. One way that one can fight against this new world order that is being foisted upon us is to mock it, which is what the Daily Wire has done, which is, I won't, I won't belabor the point. I've bragged about the movie enough. Lady Ballers, in which I have a very small cameo, uh, has absolutely crushed it in terms of viewership and box office earnings. Uh, Lady Ballers, I don't have the exact numbers. It's Daily Wire's biggest launch ever. 
And we've had lots of hit launches. We had the, uh, we had Candace Owens' Convicting a Murderer. We had uh, Candace's George Floyd documentary. We had Matt Walsh's What is a Woman? We've had major, major releases. Lady Ballers blew them out of the water. And it's, it's a mid-2000s style comedy about men playing women's sports. My favorite review of it, though. So it's got 97% of Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences love it. It's got two critic reviews, one positive, one extremely negative. The critics are just ignoring it. That's their strategy. But my favorite one uh, was from a lib. I think it was actually Hassan Piker, who is Cenk Uger, the, the Young Turks guy's nephew. He said that Lady Ballers is like Mrs. Doubtfire, but evil. And the funniest thing about this review, the ironic thing about this review, is that it reminded me that Mrs. Doubtfire itself is evil because Mrs. Doubtfire promotes divorce. Do you remember? I hadn't seen Mrs. Doubtfire in so long. Mrs. Doubtfire is about this family where a woman divorces her husband and they got a kid and the husband wants to see the kid and this wife doesn't want him to see the kid. So he dresses up like a woman and becomes a housekeeper. And and so he at least gets to interact with the kid in this very degraded way where he has to pretend to be an old woman. And it shows the importance of family. But what's the resolution in the end? The resolution in the end is not that they get back together, as the parents obviously should for the good of the child. The the resolution in the end is they're going to be divorced, but just in a a nicer way. They're going to have the nice kind of divorce. It was just peak 90s entertainment. I think it may have come out actually in 89. But it was very, that was just the vibe of the 1990s. Peak mainstream neoliberalism, do whatever you want. Just don't make me, everyone needs to go to work. Just don't make me pay for it. Social, social concerns don't matter at all. Me, me, me. And that was the conclusion. So I like the comparison to Mrs. Doubtfire because there's cross-dressing and it's funny. I guess you would just say though, Lady Ballers is like Mrs. Doubtfire, but good, (laughs) but good, but wholesome, but not ultimately depraved. Now, when you want to look good, not like Mrs. Doubtfire, when you want to look, you know, like hot and sexy, you got to check out Genucel. Right now, go to Genucel.com slash Knowles. I've got a holiday gift idea that will make you the hero of the season. We all know that the Christmas season can be hectic, the shopping, the cooking, the never-ending list of things to do, but I have discovered a gift that is both thoughtful and transformative. That is the gift of Genucel skincare. From now until Christmas, Genucel's most popular package has a special discount just for our listeners at genucel.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Treat yourself and your loved ones to the best skincare in the world. Those troubling forehead wrinkles, fine lines, skin redness, and sagging jawline will disappear right before your eyes with Genucel's most popular collection. Genucel promises immediate effects. You will see results in less than 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. You deserve to look and feel your best this Christmas season. You know, I love the founder of this company, Coptic Christian from Egypt, left for the American dream. I love the product. They use only the top quality ingredients. Go to genucel.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to get this incredible discount. Every order today is instantly upgraded to free express shipping. Genucel.com slash Knowles today. Lady Ballers, I may have mentioned, it has officially changed the game. Thanks to you, the, the first ever feature-length comedy from DW is one of the most streamed movies over the weekend. 97% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So to celebrate... We had to bring back our best deal of the year, 50% off annual DW Plus memberships. Do not wait. This offer expires tonight at midnight. When it's gone, it's gone. With your Daily Wire Plus membership, you will have access to watch The Daily Wire's first ever feature-length comedy, but we're not one and done with the comedies. No, we've only just begun. Take a sneak peek at The Daily Wire's new animated comedy series from Adam Carolla, Mr. Burcham. 
Tell me what you need. Jump into the first one. Rolling, speed, action. Sawbuck's looking a little chubby wubby. So I bought him some new food. It's organic and vegan. <sighs> Dogs are supposed to eat meat. They're descendants of wolves. You ever see a vegan wolf on the Nature Channel? I'm a vegan. <laughs> Coffee is for closers, ladies. Listen up. Hey, don't make this a prison hug. Don't do anything stupid. Earth and last year. I'm a heteronormative, cisgendered, white male. For which I apologize. I'm black, and that used to be enough. But I'm also bilingual, and I'm non-binary. We're the army. We drink more before 9 a.m. than you Navy pukes do all day. He rubbed all the fur off his emotional support ferret. The damn thing looked like a four-legged penis. Charity and work. Two words that should never go together. Like women and opinions. I want a burly man. They're salty and make me dizzy. Sorry, just need to find a thingy to fix my gaming chair. When I was on the construction site, my chair was a five-gallon bucket. It was also my toilet. <laughs> hey, I'm done. I'm going back to bed. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so... I may have snuck a little peek at Mr. Burcham around these DW offices. You know, you go into a back corner, you get you get a cut of the episodes. It's terrific. It's just phenomenal. Get your DW annual membership today, 50% off, and be the first to see all the exciting content that we have in store for 2024, including Mr. Burcham and the Daily Wire's highly anticipated series, The Pendragon Cycle, inspired by the renowned works of acclaimed Christian novelist Stephen R. Lawhead. We are bringing one of the most timeless stories of all time to life with a unique retelling of the Arthurian legend. But most importantly, it's your chance to join us in the battle to take back culture and build a future we all want to see. You get all this and so much more for 50% off today only. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Join now. Speaking of changing times, meant to get to this on Friday, but we'll get to it today. The facts have not changed. Henry Kissinger is dead. Henry Kissinger died at age 100. I was able to meet Dr. Kissinger on two occasions, one probably over 10 years ago now, and another one, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. Uh, he was very charming both times. Uh, he's fa famously a charming man. I saw him even at the time, he must have been almost 90. We were at a, a big dinner. He and I had had a chance to sit down together, but then we went into the dinner and I saw this man on his cane hobbling around, working the room, you know, uh, as charming as ever. And people are of mixed opinion on Henry Kissinger. Uh, a lot of libs hate his guts. And anytime any elderly celebrity would trend, uh, they would say, oh no, I hope so-and-so isn't dead. How come people keep dying and it's not Henry Kissinger? You know, they would joke about this. Uh, even some conservatives don't like Henry Kissinger because he had been a fixture of American foreign policy for so long. Some saw him as a, an emblem of the deep state. I think we're going to miss Henry Kissinger, actually. And the reason I think we're going to miss Henry Kissinger is because Henry Kissinger, for 50 years, I guess his career really was about 75 years, he just never stopped. Man was Secretary of State to Richard Nixon. But, but Henry Kissinger injected into American foreign policy a strain of realism, a strain of constraint that many people on the left and right today refuse to accept. Henry Kissinger was a famous realist. So 
People attack him for being a cold warrior and to waging all sorts of wars, especially in East Asia. But Henry Kissinger was just as interested in restraint, he was more interested in restraint, I think, than he was in bombing people. The same cannot be said of the neoconservatives of the Bush era. The same cannot be said of the liberal imperialists of the Obama era. I'm thinking of people, especially like Hillary Clinton, who never met a country they didn't want to invade and bomb and tear up and remake after America's own image. Their vision of America's own image, not the American founding image, not the vision that has animated America for most of our history. They want to go fly pride flags in Kandahar. Kissinger was not about that. Even on the Iraq war, which Kissinger supported, Kissinger's justification for the Iraq war was not the kind of liberal idealism we heard from the Bush administration or that we heard from the Democrats during the Bush administration. It was not that we need to spread democracy and we're going to turn these Pashtun tribes into thriving Madisonian mini republics, you know, within five years or something. What we heard from Kissinger was, America was attacked. We need to show tanks rolling through the Middle East to scare off our enemies. That was it. That was his entire argument. Henry Kissinger took realism so far that he famously, during the 1970s, told Richard Nixon that if the Soviet Union were sending Jews to gas chambers within its territories, that that would not affect the national interest of the United States, which is ghastly. I think he later apologized for it. It's ghastly to hear for most people, but it shows you a man who kept the American national interest at the very fore of his thinking, in a scandalous way, actually. And a little bit, at least a little bit, of thinking in the national interest uh, is, is a very good thing. Because when you ignore the national interest and you only think about everyone else all around the world and how we need to send women to school in Afghanistan and how we need to, I don't know, uh, carve up China so that the Dalai Lama has a nicer time in Tibet, or whatever your foreign hobby horse is, then you ignore your own country and the country falls to pot and our borders break open and our economy collapses and civil disorder goes through the roof and there's crime all over. And, and then you won't have any power to, to impose any kind of influence on the world, much less to serve your own constituents. Henry Kissinger, what his passing represents the loss of a, a broad strategic vision that stretches beyond just a year or two, that stretches beyond even one political party or the other. Henry Kissinger famously had friends in both political, even he was a Republican, but he was a Rockefeller Republican, and he had friends in, in both political parties. Very influential with Republicans, buddies with Hillary Clinton, everybody. We, we lose that. And, and so America becomes much less strategic, both in terms of its long-term thinking and in terms of, in any way, considering its own national interests. I, for one, pour one out for Henry the K. Here's another thing Henry Kissinger was right about. Henry Kissinger said in the 90s that NATO should not expand eastward. As the Soviet Union collapses, as the U.S. wins the Cold War, and more importantly, even than winning the Cold War, we are able to watch the... uh, withdrawal of the Soviet Union, the the decline of the arms race, the widening of American influence without falling into World War III. Very, very important. And Kissinger, 
along with other smart people like Sam Nunn, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, George Kennan, the author of The Long Telegram that establishes U.S. Cold War policy. All of them say, don't expand NATO eastward. That will unnecessarily provoke Russia for no strategic advantage whatsoever. It will increase the likelihood of war. And guess what? Henry Kissinger, sadly, was able to see his prediction proven entirely correct before his death because the reason that Russia in, invaded Ukraine is because of all of the sa- saber rattling, the promise by the leader of Ukraine that Ukraine would join NATO, the European Union and NATO. The influence of the CIA in the Maidan revolution in 2014 that ousted the pro-Russian leader of Ukraine and installed pro-Western leaders of Ukraine. And Russia looking at that and saying, look, NATO has already been encroaching all the way up to our borders. This represents an unacceptable security risk, especially when we're talking about Ukraine, the breadbasket of Europe, not going not to handle it. So then Russia decides, I think in their national interest, I'm not saying it was good or right objectively, I'm not saying the war was justified, but it certainly was in the Russian national interest to invade Ukraine. At which point Kissinger said, you know, this was a major blunder, and we in many ways provoked it by expanding NATO, but the die is cast. And now, what do we have? We have the NATO Secretary General saying, quote, allies agree that Ukraine will become a member of NATO. Allies agree. If the allies all agree, that means the U.S. agrees. I haven't heard Joe Biden say that publicly. We're now, we're now totally on board with Ukraine joining NATO. That's absolutely insane. That's a terrible idea. It it provides no strategic advantage to the United States whatsoever, and it increases the likelihood of war. If Ukraine were to join NATO today, we would instantly be in World War III because it would would trigger the mutual security compact. Ukraine is currently an occupied country. We would immediately be at war. But we don't have a lot of strategic thinking these days. We have a lot of pie-in-the-sky, abstract, idealistic, ideological thinking based on false premises. And we're going to miss people like Henry Kissinger, hated though he may have been in many corners. Speaking of foreign alliances, Joe Biden has just proposed something that is really unpopular in both parties and many quarters of the American public, and that is to make aid to Israel conditional. I've encouraged the Prime Minister to uh, to focus on trying to reduce the number of casualties while he is attempting to eliminate Hamas, which is a legitimate objective he has. That's a difficult task, and uh, I don't know how long it will take. My expectation and hope is that As we move forward, the rest of the Arab world and the region is also putting pressure on all sides to slow this down, to bring this to an end as quickly as we can. Mr. President, what are the chances of this uh, troops to be extended by a few days or more? I think the chances are real. Mr. President, there are members of your party who would like to see conditions placed on aid to Israel. What is your view on that? They would like to see, uh, you know, a reduction in the bombing and that sort of thing. Well, I think that's a a, a worthwhile thought, but I don't think if I started off with that, we'd ever gotten to where we are today. We have to take this a piece at a time. Mr. President, do you trust Hamas to uphold their I don't trust Hamas to do anything right. I only trust Hamas to respond to pressure. And to that I say, 
Yeah, I think he's totally right, actually. It, it pains me to agree with Joe Biden, and I saw the big headlines. Biden turns his back on Israel, but everything he said there is right. Every, I, I hate it. This is, might be the one, first time I've ever said this about Joe Biden, not just in his presidency, but in his entire public life, certainly. And his public life is longer than my entire life, so certainly since I've been aware of Joe Biden. Everything he said there is right. He says, I, I want the prime minister to try to minimize civilian casualties, even as he pursues the legitimate military objective of completely destroying Hamas. Totally true. I have, uh, I've, I've heard from members of my party that they want to place conditions on aid to Israel. I think that's a worthwhile idea. Obviously it is. There should be conditions on all American foreign aid. The reason we give foreign aid is to have influence in the world. If we're not having any influence, then we're just what? Then we're just then we're just a blank check for some foreign country? No, of course not. Of course we want conditions on all foreign aid coming out of the United States. That's true. But he he conditions even his call for conditional aid. He says, but had I started from that position, then Israel would be in a much worse spot right now. If our objective is to defend the existence of the state of Israel, then we would be in a much worse spot right now. And so I didn't open up that way by saying we're going to put conditions on aid, but obviously we should in the long run. Totally true. And then finally, they say, do you trust Hamas? He says, I don't trust, trust Hamas to do anything. Hate to say it, but even a stopped clock <laughs> twice a day is correct. A monkey sitting at a typewriter long enough will write King Lear. And Joe Biden said something right. Now, the Democrats are totally misinterpreting what he's saying here and taking it to totally illogical places. One Democrat senator said that U.S. aid to Israel should not include bombs. Do you want any aid to Israel that Congress passes here in the next few months to include conditions on how it's used? It's very, my position is really simple. I'm all for the Iron Dome. It saved, uh, it saved many, many Israeli lives. I'm all for humanitarian aid. The more that we can help uh, uh, minimize the loss of life in Gaza, uh, the better for Israel and for all of us. I'm against the bombs. I mean, the 2,000-pound bombs that uh, the Netanyahu government was dropping on uh, refugee camps where there was massive loss of civilian life, I don't really think those should be part of our aid. So uh, are you urging the administration, are you, are you telling your colleagues and the administration uh, not to allow American dollars to be used for those bombs? Yeah, I don't want to spend money on those bombs. He, he doesn't, the, guy, the Democrat senator wants the U.S. to give aid to Israel, but not weapons. He, do, does this guy think that Israel needs us for baked goods? Is that it? Israel does not need us for baked goods. They make very lovely hamantashen. They do, does he think that we, Israel needs us for iPads and things? Do, that Israel needs us so we can send them Ford trucks? Israel doesn't need any of that aid. Israel has plenty of money and plenty of stuff and plenty of food. The only thing that Israel needs from the United States is weaponry, is <laughs> bombs and guns and money that will go toward those things. In fact, in fact, every dollar that we give to Israel, we should assume is going toward bombs and guns because money is fungible and Israel is facing what it considers to be an existential war, a second war of independence, 
And so they are going to be redirecting all of their resources, including their citizenry, all of whom virtually serve in the military at some point, except for the small number of religious objectors. They're going to be, they're going to be directing all of their resources toward weaponry. So just be honest about it. If this guy is saying, if this guy doesn't think that Israel should exist as a state and he's got problems with, I don't know, how it was founded, how it conducts itself, how, whatever, whatever his problem is, settler colonialism, whatever, then just come out and say it. Yeah, I don't. No weapons to Israel, which means Israel can't defend itself because Israel is not self-sustaining. Israel requires foreign aid to exist. It's a tiny little country. It's not a world superpower. So cut off the weapons. They don't have the the means to defend themselves. Then Israel ceases to exist. And they can be on, some leftists are honest about that. This guy does not seem to be. If you're going to give, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're, you're just giving money so that they can buy new sheets and pillows or something. It's going to guns and weapons. That's what support for Israel means. So look, you can even say, play, we need to put some conditions on aid. They need to reduce civilian casualties. You can say all of those things. But this, this is so, oh man. Kissinger rolling over in his grave at what this Democrat senator is saying. Well, I'm all for sending the money, just not for any guns. You're trying to appease everybody and you're just spouting complete nonsense. Now, speaking of wealth, you got to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. Diversify your savings with physical precious metals while stockpiling silver in your home safe. With Birch Gold Group's most popular special of the year, now through December 22nd, For every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold, they will send you a one-ounce Silver Eagle coin for free. Text Knowles, Canada W-L-E-S, to 989898 to claim your eligibility now. You can purchase gold and silver and have it shipped directly to your home or have Birch Gold's precious metals specialists help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold for no money out of pocket. They will send you free silver for every $5,000 you purchase. Keep it yourself or give something with real value as a stocking stuffer this year. Just text the keyword Knowles, Canada W-L-A-S, to 989898 to claim your eligibility. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers, now is the best time to buy gold from Birch Gold. Text Knowles, Canada W-L-A-S, to 989898. Claim your eligibility for free silver on qualifying purchases before December 22nd. That is Knowles to 989898. 98. My favorite comment on Friday is from Chesscom Support 8689. It says, I love that this is a 49-minute video titled DeSantis versus Newsom debate summarized in two minutes. Mr. Davies, I think they're on to us. <laughs> Don't delete that. Get that out of the show. Now, speaking of the presidency, a presidential candidate for the GOP has just picked up a big endorsement. And that would be Nikki Haley picking up the endorsement of, drumroll please, Paul Ryan. Do not discount the Americans for Prosperity endorsement of Nikki Haley two days ago. That's actually a really big deal. Uh, the reason that that's a really big deal is you could say that Ron DeSantis's big advantage over Nikki Haley was his ground game in Iowa, which is impressive. Americans for Prosperity has an extremely impressive ground game. Uh, This is the Koch Network's um, ground game. They just gave that to Nikki Haley. So not only does that level her up in Iowa with Ron DeSantis, that gives her a ground game in all these other states. And the calendar plays to her advantage. So I'm not saying I'm all for Nikki Haley. I'm for beating Donald Trump. I'm for any Republican who can beat Donald Trump. But I think if you had to pick a growth stock, I think Nikki's the growth stock. 
whether Nikki Haley likes it or not, she is now the establishment candidate for the GOP. She would fight that label. She would push back on anyone calling her a neocon or establishment or anything like that. But it's not up to her. (laughs) To quote Henry Kissinger, the die is cast. She has now been endorsed by the Koch Network, which is the biggest establishment chamber of commerce, don't focus on the social issues kind of right-wing group, and Paul Ryan. And it's even more significant here because Paul Ryan is on the board of News Corp, which owns Fox News. Which means, I think Ryan is probably right that this does level Nikki Haley up a little bit. The, The unfortunate thing for her is that leveling up from right right now, just even in that poll that was cited on CNBC with, with Paul Ryan in the clip, right now, Haley is at 9%. Ron DeSantis is at 13%. So it levels her up four points to Ron DeSantis. Is it going to level her up 40 points to beat Donald Trump? No. There is no path to the nomination for any candidate in this race other than Donald Trump. Not saying it's a good thing, not saying it's a bad thing, but no one has articulated one. The nearest thing we've heard is people saying Ron DeSantis is going to win in Iowa, and that's going to give him momentum to win the nomination. No candidate who won Iowa has won the nomination for the GOP in over 20 years. If you do, I guess you could count 2004 was the reelect with George Bush, and he didn't have any, any opponents. But for a challenger candidate, for a new candidate, it hasn't happened in over 20 years. Furthermore, They're now saying Nikki Haley might have a shot at Iowa. Not that that would really help her at all either. What's the path? I don't see the path. In a way, this is a mark in favor of Ron DeSantis, by the way. This is something I've always said is is one of the best parts of Ron DeSantis, whom I really like. They say, the pitch for Ron DeSantis was he's the bigger, better Trump, bigger, better, faster, stronger, more disciplined, more ideologically coherent, sure. But that's why the establishment doesn't like him. From the beginning, all the optimists, the DeSantis optimists who said, who said he's the best candidate because he's going to pull from Trump and he's going to pull from the establishment. I said he's going to pull from neither. He's a man without a home. If you want Trump, you're going to vote for Trump. If you want establishment, you're going to vote establishment. DeSantis, his best positive is also his weakness in a primary like this. So, okay, now they've decided it's going to be Nikki Haley, which means... Barring some totally unforeseen event, it's probably going to be Trump. Now, what about on the other side? There's some challengers to Joe Biden. Is the political establishment backing away from Biden? Are they going to now back Newsom? Are they now going to back Kamala Harris? Are they going to back Bobby Kennedy Jr.? Not a chance. No. George Soros and his son, Alex Soros, who's taking over the George Soros left-wing financing empire, they have just maxed out donations to Joe Biden's 2024 reelect. Now, maxing out donations is a little bit misleading here because we have all these weird campaign finance rules. Maxing out donations means they each gave $6,600, which is nothing. That's the amount of money they make every time they blink, okay? $6,600 is not going to matter at all to the campaigns. Now, they'd also given a quarter million dollars to the Biden Victory Fund, which is much less regulated than the, the actual candidate campaign committee. But the reason that they're doing this is not about the six grand or whatever, 12, 13 grand, and it's not about even the quarter million dollars. It's about signaling to the rest of the left that the big dog funders are still with Biden. 
The hardest hit person here is Gavin Newsom, followed by Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, all these other jokers who want to take Biden's spot. There's still a ton of support, major institutional support for Biden. What's really funny, too, is you see on the left, basically all, despite Biden's extremely low approval ratings, all of the left, the elite, and even a a lot of the grassroots, they're still backing Biden. On the right, the entire elite basically hates Donald Trump, (laughs) even though he's the guy who's running kind of as an incumbent. He's leading the pack by 40, 50 points. You're still seeing these major establishment elite networks donating a ton of money to other candidates, even candidates who are polling at something like 9%. You look at the Koch Network and Nikki Haley. Shows you just a major difference between the left and the right. The left pretty much put together marching in lockstep. The right at each other's throats carved up into at least two, maybe three factions. They can't figure it out. But the the people, it would appear, will tolerate Joe Biden. Joe Biden, even without the superdelegates, even without trying to push Bobby Kennedy out, Joe Biden would still win the nomination. There's no question about that for the Democrats. They would be, the people on the Democrat side would still basically be in line with the elite and the leaders. On the right, the elite and the leaders are totally opposed to the the people in terms of which candidate they back. 50% or more of of Republican voters back Donald Trump. If you you polled Republican elites, I bet something like 60 to 80% of the Republican elites, especially the guys with the money, oppose Trump. The rest of the show continues now. It is Music Monday. You do not want to miss this. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. (laughs) 